I have to inspect what I expect. And I was not inspecting, so I did not get what I expected. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I'd check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show that gets straight to the good stuff that helps you move your real estate investing business forward. We cut out all of the fluff and you know we've, we've talked to a lot of great guests on the show from Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank to Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, Jay Papazan with Keller Williams, and now we've got another Keller Williams all-star, Sarah Close. Uh, how you doing, Sarah? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm doing really well and welcome to the show. Sarah is in Cincinnati where I'm in now and she's a third generation realtor. She it's got a really impressive entrepreneurial background where she opened up first Kelly Williams office in Cincinnati in 2005 and has grown it to a hundred, almost 200 agents, 199 knocking yeah, on the door yeah. to 200. Not knocking on the door. Can't knock hard enough though. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> She's the operating principal of three Kelly Williams franchises in Cincinnati. Well, in Cincinnati in Westchester and in Beaver Creek, Ohio. So all, all in this three total and she's also a real estate investor along with us. She's done some subdivision development, some single family home rentals. She's an owner in a commercial property. She's done mixed use. And this is an interesting fact, but it is also real estate related. So um, throwing a wrinkle here, she's been on an episode of House Hunters. So uh, hopefully you can give us a little bit more insight on that. Sarah, with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for having me today. This is a lot of fun. Um, I've uh, I moved to Cincinnati in 1992 uh, to work for um, one of our larger employers here. It's the P&G Corporation, 
And I'm a third-generation agent, so in my house, when, when you're born, you get your pacifier and you get your real estate license. So it's just part of <laughs> part of what we do. Um, so I've been selling in Cincinnati, actually, ever since about a year after I landed here. And I started off as a solo agent and uh, worked for about 13 years with some of the other brands in town. And in 2005, had an opportunity to become affiliated with the KW system. So we started that with with um, just four of us, and, and now that's blossomed into collectively over 400 agents. So that's been a lot of fun for us. So yeah, kind of professionally, that's sort of how we got here. Yeah. What made you get into Keller Williams specifically after being a solo agent for 13 years? Because is there an entrepreneurial leap that's required? I, I'm not that familiar with the brokerage business, but sure. you know, I, I know that the real estate agent needs to work for a brokerage. So starting your own, is that basically like starting your own business? Yeah, very much so. With the exception of having a track to run on, you know, as far as systems, tools, and models. And, you know, that's one of the things that... um you know, from an agent level, part of the reason why I chose to invest in this particular brand is Keller Williams literally has written the book on the right systems, tools, and models that agents need to succeed. In essence, to take an agent that's operating as a solo agent to actually functioning in their sales business as a business owner. And, you know, the the benefits for the agent are innumerable. And more importantly, the benefit that the clients get is superb because they're dealing in most cases with a very skilled, very highly trained business person that can help them make good decisions on, you know, with their money that they're going to be investing with them. So for me, this was a very, very logical fit. You started uh, your the franchise in Cincinnati, opened the first office in 2005. You've grown it. What's been the key to growth? The key to growth has been, to be honest, has been our value proposition to the other agents in the field. And we can deliver, again, the systems, tools, and models that they need to really expand to whatever level they choose to do. Nationally, the firm has grown. It, it was started in 1983 out of Austin, Texas. It's now the largest company in North America with over 113,000 realtors. Um, and, you know, if you look at that growth trajectory, especially through periods where our industry experienced contraction, it's really significant. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, um, the business is built on, on solid agents for solid agents. And having an agent-centric model makes all the difference in the world than having a broker-centric model for someone who's actually, you know, out in the field doing the work. It's a great system. What's a specific example? You mentioned a couple times deliver the system tools and model. What specifically, if we're in an elevator and I'm a prospective you know, agent that's looking for a brokerage to hang my license, what's like the differentiator? You know, to give you kind of my elevator script, it's difficult to do in a bite-sized portion. But if you would think about what typically a solo agent is experiencing when they are affiliated with the brokerage, there's usually a lot of very intense and very, very good new agent training, how to use a contract, you know, the ins and outs of the board, you know, the, your do's and don'ts, what it means to be a fiduciary for a client, etc. But once they get someone through that process, typically the training at a high level sort of stops there. And then the agent is left to really sink or swim on their own based on their own entrepreneurial drive to get that done. And 
at, in the KW system, we have training that is designed to take an agent, you know, from cradle to grave in their career and actually help them take their sales practice that they're doing normally as an individual operator and transform that into a business that they then have created an asset no different than any other business you would see up and down Main Street where they have an opportunity for passive revenue down the road. They have an opportunity to create career paths for people they care about within their organization. And what I think Keller does really well is it does not rest on its laurels. It's always looking for where's the best information. If the best practice exists at one of our competitors, that's where we're going to go study and learn how to do it. It doesn't need to be ours for it to be the best. And I think there's there's really no ego involved in that at the corporate level. And, and as agents and operators in that system, we benefit from that. So if there's a best practice and there's a market of the minute that they're experiencing in San Diego, California, you're going to know about it if you're an agent operating in Cincinnati, Ohio, just as soon as you would if you lived out there because they do such a good job of keeping that information democratized so that we can get a hold of it. And you won't get that at other firms. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your real estate investing sure. now. And there are, and I think the, the, there is a takeaway that I have, I've written down for what you just mentioned about building the company and kind of the success that you've seen with Keller Williams. And the takeaway clearly in my mind is ongoing training and accessibility to information. Uh, and I, I think Absolutely. with any business, as you said, I mean, it's a business that on Main Street you'd, you'd come across, or in this case, it's in real estate. But it, with any business, having employees who have access to that ongoing training where we don't just work with them at the very beginning, but it's it's consistent and tying back to what their, their goals are. And, and we'll get into more of that in, in at the very end whenever I summarize things. And let's talk about your real estate investing. So you've, you've sure. done all sorts of stuff. You've done a subdivision development, rentals. You've got rentals, commercial property. So, Sarah, with subdivision development, how'd you get into it and what did you do? So, in that situation, we had a, oh gosh, some acreage that was adjoining a recently developed neighborhood. And that is, that was something that we purchased, my partner purchased it several years ago. And as the neighborhood grew up around it, we had the opportunities. It became a logical offshoot to then go ahead and take that from, in essence, agricultural use to to a subdivision. And so we put in, in that situation, about 44 single-family home sites ranging, you know, in, in value in our market and kind of a mid-range price point, which for us would be, you know, 30000 to $85,000 single-family home sites. It was a very interesting process to work through from, you know, understanding sort of what that, you know, what each foot of road was going to cost expense-wise you know, how to handle that from an investment standpoint and, and work with the financing firms on that. It was definitely more involved than probably it might look from the surface, but it was it was a good venture for us. And, you know, transparently, you know, timing was on our side. That was something that we were able to develop at a time when the market was doing quite well. So you took some land from agricultural to making a subdivision out of it, right? Yes, exactly. What is that detailed process? I mean, it's if somebody because if you know if you're driving by, if a best ever listener is driving by and they see see some land and um, they see that it's in the path of progress, what are the steps that they take? Well, I think the first thing that you would need to uh, become familiar with is understanding what the zoning allows 
for how that property can be used currently. And that zoning that is assigned to it by the involved, you know, municipality or, um, you know, township, et cetera, is going to determine, in essence, what the density and what the use can be for that. And that factor in and of itself is going to be an enormous driver to determine what the value is of that parcel. So zoning is probably your first step. Your very second step, provided the zoning is something that feels satisfactory, would be understanding the utility restraint that that particular property has. A big one being, you know, is there water involved? More importantly, is that a piece of, is that parcel, can that be serviced by sewer? And if so, is there capacity within that current sewer system to actually handle the additional proposals that you're, you know, that you're contemplating putting on that parcel? So it's, okay. it is, when we're working with investors that are considering buying a parcel for designated use, part of our process is to build in a due diligence period to really thoroughly investigate it for ourselves to make sure that it meets the use that they have intended it for before there's a, a final commitment made financially. And now you've gotten through step two where you understand the utility for your restraints that the property has. Now what? Well, you're going to be working with an, an engineer, typically, to help with the layout of the particular subdivision. And that, of course, is overlaying, you know, where utility access and what zoning requirements are. And that's going to give you a rough idea of how many, what your density will look like on the parcel and how that can be best utilized, you know, to achieve its highest and best use. And then you're going to, you know, when you have that information and you can say, okay, gee, for this five-acre parcel with this zoning overlay, let's say I can put in 12 home sites and my rough engineering and my rough you know, survey work indicates that those would fit nicely in this particular configuration. Really, your next consideration is what is the financial, you know, you, you obviously have some general ideas of this ahead of time, but when you can get it dialed down into specific parcels, it's okay, what is the financial package that I'm looking at? And is the product that I am hoping to sell going to be competitive at a price point where the return on this investment makes sense for me? Um, and that's, you know, you would definitely be pulling in people that have good expertise in the micro market where this parcel exists. Uh, you're going to be looking at supply and demand. You're kind of going through probably sort of a, a little more of a traditional economic valuation of, uh, of the parcel. And then you want to make sure that financially that that makes sense. So provided all of that works and you have a, a package that feels feels good to you, unless you're doing this completely self-financed, of course, then you're going to be working with an investor or a lender to help underwrite that process. And every lender that works with subdivisions is going to have their own criteria and stipulations. But typically there will be a process by which you will pay back a portion of that financing as each of the parcels are developed. And typically, your financing would include the initial development costs that you will have to outlay as far as putting in roads, et cetera, et cetera. So if all of that looks good and then you're able to get approval from, you know, the overseeing powers that be, you know, most probably then that's when you would then move that through and, and move forward with the, with the project. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You just laid out the entire plan for looking at raw land to um, to seeing if it's feasible or not in a very, very straightforward and practical way. That's that's invaluable. 
Are you still doing subdivisions? Because I, I know you're doing a lot of different types of investing. Are you doing subdivisions? If not, what are you doing and, and what do you like most? I'm not right now. What I'm doing now, what I like now, and what, for me, with my obligations that I have with you know family, work, etc., what makes the most sense for me are single-family investment parcels, investment opportunities. So I like that product for my portfolio, personally. Why single families and uh, where are you investing in, I assume it's Cincinnati? Yes, yes, it is in Cincinnati and mostly because I am the most familiar with the market in Cincinnati. I feel I can confidently make a purchase kind of eyes wide open. You know, I'll have a good 360 view on that. And why I'm going single family is primarily threefold. First of all, for me, it's familiarity. That's a product that I'm in touch with every single day, just in the course of my, you know, in the course of my daily work. The second, quite frankly, is liquidity. A single-family residence, if I ever need to divest of an asset, is relatively easily absorbed back into the marketplace because a large number of users can purchase a single-family home. Versus if I'm dealing with, let's say, a 24-unit tenant building, you know, my prospective pool is smaller in that case. So liquidity is another reason why I'm, I, I like that product. And, you know, the, the third reason is ease of financing. Lenders are very comfortable with single-family products. It is a very – the process to get something like that leveraged economically is, is very straightforward um, and – Actually, very consistent. Even with the lending changes we've had, I would say overall single-family lending stays, relatively speaking, consistent. And what type of financing do you put on the properties? I typically will do, um, occasionally we've done a, a blanket loan where we've secured with a lender a predetermined line of credit, so to speak, that with approval they will allow us to use to buy multiple parcels. I had an area that I was very interested in and was doing some sort of strategic investing there. Uh, we've since packaged those and sold them, so that was, that was a good one. You know, so that is one alternative. The more common alternative, though, is just a straightforward, for me, conventional loan with whatever that down payment requirement is, and that asset will then take care of its own financing. It's not tied to anything else. So I will have a single mortgage just associated with a single house. Sarah, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice ever is to remember that you buy your profit. And the only time you get to control the market and the price of your property is when you're purchasing it. And with that in mind, what we always will tell our clients is instead of thinking about the features and benefits and the bells and whistles, think about buying the property with the fewest negatives associated with it. So you're not a fan of buying the ugly house and fixing it up? Oh, I'm happy to buy the ugly house and fix it up, provided there's nothing outside of that scope of control that I can't fix. For example, I don't want to buy the house that's in front of the cell tower. I don't want to be on the busy street if the norm for the area is a side street. I don't want the high tension lines in the back of my property because no matter what I do to that ugly house, I'm still going to have that Achilles heel. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, it kind of opens up and gives you more flexibility and positions you for more success when you control the variables that you are able to control. That's exactly right. That's the whole key. 
You ready for the best ever lightning round? Okay, what you got? All right, here we go. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D dot com forward slash best ever. Sarah, here's what I got. Best ever book you've read? Uh, recently, it's Power of Habit. What's the one takeaway you got from that book? The Power of Habit is basically that we have the ability to control the habits that run our lives and our businesses. And if we're thoughtful about them, we can build them into actually put us where we want to be, not have them actually hold us back. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? I would say most recently it was a um, it was a an event at the Seal Fit Training Center out in Encinitas, California, and what I learned about that was the power of and the importance of integrated training. So that no matter how successful we are business-wise, if we're not taking care of our minds and our bodies, it's um, we don't have it all. So best ever deal you've done. Best ever deal I've done personally was taking sort of a, a scrub piece of property. I drove by it, had kind of a knockdown sign, it was kind of rusty sign, and I called the owner agent. It was on Easter Sunday, and he was just kind of done messing with it, and we turned around on that parcel and had an $800,000 profit 18 months later. That was a fun one. That sounds like a fun one. Sounds like a lot of celebration afterwards, <laughs> too. <laughs> we like to do those all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Right now, what I'm excited about is just something personally. I have two daughters. They're 11 and 13, and we are getting ready to put a barn at our house so we can bring our horses to the house. So everybody's excited about that around my house right now. (laughs) Oh, nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I know in your show notes you said that they're the best ever daughters, so I wanted to give a shout-out to them, too. They are the best (laughs) ever daughters, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Best ever way you like to give back. We do a lot of work through KW Cares, which is a charity organization set up through uh, KWRI that enables us to take care of our peers that are going through a difficult time so that we can be of assistance to them financially. So we spend a lot of time with that and do a lot of community projects through that organization as well. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? There are many, but the one that probably stands out the most is I did have a mixed-use building, and I hired a property management company, and I naively assumed that they would take care of what they were telling me was being taken care of. And my lesson was I have to inspect what I expect, and I was not inspecting, so I did not get what I expected, and ultimately ended up having to sell the property because it was, it, was it was mishandled. That was not a good day. Inspect what you expect. I like that. Yes. Yeah, I've borrowed that phrase, but it's so true. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. What is the uh, best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? Best ever place would be Sarah, with an H, at getclosetohome.com. And then your website is getclosetohome.com, right? Correct, yes. If you're buying single-family homes in Cincinnati and you've got a successful model, I'm sure there are other um, single-family homes for people who might not live in Cincinnati to talk to you about, right? There is, Cincinnati is a wonderful market because it is, is frankly, so stable. So it's, mm-hmm. we're very, very fortunate to have some predictability 
uh, in our marketplace, relatively speaking. Right, absolutely. So it's a great place to invest. Yep. It is a great place to invest. Well, Sarah, this has just been a great conversation. And my gosh, you gave us the three steps to determine feasibility of raw land. And I don't know if you knew that or not, but... No, but hey. <laughs> yeah, bang, bang, bang. Everyone's like, pull something out of that whole brain. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. One is understanding what the zoning is allowed for the property currently. And then two, understanding utility restraints a property has, water, sewer, can handle the sewer that you're anticipating. And then three, working with an engineer to help with the layout. That's where you look at utility access and zoning requirements, density, what is best utilized for to achieve the highest and best use. And then you and then you look at overall, take a step back, does it make financial sense? And uh, then yep. we, we talked about the single family homes, why you like them, because you're familiar with them, the liquidity of being able to sell them, and then the ease of financing because there's a lot of lenders out there that will lend on them. Absolutely. Especially whenever you compare that to other other niches in, in real estate. And uh, then inspect what you expect. I, I love that. And then also your best ever advice where you, you buy your profit. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was my best ever Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every Keller Williams person I've spoken to is just given tremendous value and um, I didn't even mention yeah you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show but uh, I'll, I'll mention it now the business model that Keller Williams does I think we can all learn from that's why I want to spend a little bit of time at the very beginning having that conversation and the takeaway in this conversation about the business model and how we can apply it is having ongoing training for our employees what type of ongoing training do we have right now and is it just to get them started or are we consistently and making a concerted effort to train them on a regular basis? So thanks so much, Sarah, for being on the show. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.